All right, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. This is episode 176 with Dr. Emily Spickle, another individual with a very difficult last name, just like myself. And this episode is jam-packed with a lot of great information. We get into Emily's entire journey through med school, dropping out of med school, going into a master's degree, going back to med school, finishing up, becoming a surgeon, and now educating the entire world on the importance of the feet, foot strength, foot dysfunctions, and more. We get into the nitty gritty about feet and why they're important, especially when you are experimenting barefoot training and what characteristics you need in order to stay safe, healthy, and not fuck your shit up. So without further ado, here's Dr. Emily. Enjoy. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Dr. Emily Splickle. Hopefully I said that correctly. Say hello. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for having me be online. No problem. Uh, so I always like to start the show with some like easy lobbing questions just to get the flow going. So easy question number one, what do you got planned for the weekend? Uh, oh, we're actually, my husband and I are going to, to watch the UFC fights. Oh, nice. So that's our Saturday night. That'll be nice. And then Sunday, I would just love to veg all day, not get out of bed. That's not going to happen. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then balancing work, of course. Awesome. All right, so the next one is what is the current or latest TV series you're watching? I don't watch a lot of TV. Fair enough. Uh, I see TV as a vortex that sucks you in, so I try <laughs> yeah. not to watch TV. We only watch Hulu or Amazon, yeah. things on demand, uh, but we're really into all of the dancing shows, dancing which is just shows. our, okay. yeah, it's veg. Oh, and then the new Shark Tank series starts nice. soon. Yeah. I like I love Shark Tank so much. Like I don't know what it is. I don't. I think it might be just the music in the background, right? Just, it makes it so intense and it's like so engaging. I don't know. That's just me. I love that show too. Um, so the last easy question: current book you're reading or book that you just read? I just finished a book called Pre-Parenting. And I'll go into this a little bit in our conversation of why I think everyone should read this book, okay. not just people who are pregnant or trying to have a start their family, but it goes into how we set our emotional template for really the world and how we set our subconscious belief system is really established in utero and then the first three to seven years, depending on who you read, three to seven years of life. So everything I speak about is built around emotion. So that book was very much uh, integral into how I understand how we lay that emotional mind-body foundation. Just finished that. Wow. Just started uh, Windows to the Womb. So similar similar category of of book. Fascinating reads though. How did you stumble upon these guys? Uh, so I was I was listening to a lot of I don't know if you've heard of Bruce Lipton. The name sounds familiar. He's, oh, okay. So he's into subconscious belief systems, and he wrote the biology of belief, and that your your belief 
obviously imprints your biology. So our happiness state or outlook can influence your emotion, or your immunological system, your health, your risk for cancer and disease. So very similar within that. An offshoot of that is going into where this first first started, which is, as I mentioned, in utero. I have a functional medicine network of colleagues and they started speaking about perinatal, which is what I'm referencing. And through that perinatal is how I delved into perinatal psychology, which is really for the mother state and the understanding of how society needs to treat mothers and we should not be bringing emotional baggage to a mother, to a woman who's pregnant because it very much could influence successive generations. Wow, okay. DG, does this like book get into like energy stuff at all? Uh, like meditation? Sure, like, because one of the topics I've been seeing now is like, because out here on the West Coast, like naturopathic medicine, like functional medicine is very, very popular. And like mm-hmm. something like acupuncture, for example, where they're kind of following the meridian lines of like energy and chi that goes into certain organs that can influence your whole self-being. And it kind of like it just triggered like whatever you were saying kind of triggered me to like think about that. So I was wondering if those books kind of fall into that realm as well. Yeah, not too much. However, they're very synergistic. So if you read a lot on, let's say, Chinese medicine or these meridians, qi, like what you were referencing, then you or any of the listeners that like that side of health and well-being would really appreciate this perinatal aspect of of imprinting beliefs, right? So there's then attachment styles. There's books you can read on attachment and how that's imprinted in your first three years of life. Again, this biology of belief, I would look at that. I mean, there's just so much. Yeah, Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to check out those books. So now I'm like totally, like my head's spitting about it. Um, So before (laughs) we get any further, we got to do a little intro for you because this is the first time you've been on my show. So can you just give us like the cliff notes of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? Absolutely. So I am a podiatrist. I... So I'm trained as classic Western medicine podiatry um, and trained as a surgeon. My entire time throughout medical school and residency and learning how to do surgery, I had a lot of conflict with the approach that I was learning, the, the window of needing to cut, so seeing things from the, from the view of a surgeon or a scalpel. And because... So maybe I should backtrack, but I was a, <laughs> a, a athlete for 13 years. I was a competitive gymnast. And then after my undergrad, I moved to New York and I was a trainer. So I started in fitness. And that career in fitness started 18 years ago. A couple years into my fitness career, I decided to go to medical school. So that, that preceded the medical school. So that changed my view of what I was learning throughout surgery and residency and such, that I started having this internal conflict that didn't agree with what I was learning and the approach and thought that there was more and I needed to learn more. So I actually quit residency after my first year, which is a very risky thing to do because you're on the trajectory of 
doctorhood <laughs> with yeah. lots of debts and it's it's a system that you essentially kind of get into the rhythm of that system if you challenge that system too early which is what i was starting to do you may never forever you may never be kind of invited back into that system let's say which means i could have potentially risked my ability to get my medical license and then ever practice again because I had stepped out and was like, this isn't agreeing with, with my internal beliefs. Long story short, I went back to graduate school. I got my master's in human movement and that connected a lot of the dots of what I was seeing in my, in my mind of, okay, there's more to, to the picture than just you know, the foot and ankle not attached to a human being. <laughs> so then I started looking more at movement. I looked at barefoot science, and then the barefoot science led to this evolution of understanding fascia and fascia lines. And then the fascia lines led to deeper understanding of the brain and the sensory system. And then the understanding of the sensory system led to the evolution of looking at emotions and the autonomic nervous system and how we breathe is impacted by our emotional state and then that inherently affects our overall pelvic stability because the pelvic floor and the diaphragm are connected and then that just started kind of going into this whole deep evolution of my practice my medical practice but also the education that i develop and then my philosophy in just life in general of integrated functional mind body soul connection and that's really the journey that I'm on. So I'm very much not a typical podiatrist. I don't do surgery anymore. I do still see patients in New York, but the patients that I see are chronic movement dysfunction, chronic pain, uh, medically unexplained pain. And then I travel around the world under EBFA, my education company, and I teach how your foot from a sensory perspective is the gateway into all of your movement patterns to your understanding of the foot ground relationship, the understanding of movement, and then how we can link breath into barefoot and body control. Awesome. That was a lot of information. So I'm going to try to unpack <laughs> that. No, it's all good. I love okay. it. Um, so say like you're in university, what made you go into like the medical system for feet specifically? What made you like, oh man, this is for me. It's actually not what people are going to think. I went to, I, I've lived in New York for 18 years and I was born in North Dakota. So very small town, 300 people. Jeez. And then I went to undergrad in Minnesota, a small liberal arts school. My sister lived in New York. And when I came to visit New York, just something changed in my soul. <laughs> Sounds crazy, but wow. something was just like, I am home. Something vibrational changed in my body. So I was like, I need to be in New York. So I was doing fitness in New York. So when I started looking at medical schools and applying to different medical schools, I applied only to those that were in New York. And then I looked at the other allied health uh, medical schools or schools that are in New York. And that's where podiatry was one of them. There's a podiatry school here in New York. Applied to it, got accepted. So it was kind of that 
side to it that I was a little like, oh my God, am I really doing this? Am I really going to be a podiatrist? Am I going to cut toenails for the rest of my life? This is not, not what I really had wanted, but the school tried to sell me on the fact that, you know, feet, movement, walking, runners, dance. So there's like a sports medicine, quote unquote, side to podiatry. And that's what got me excited. Then when I started going through it, I was like, okay, well, this is just because you're a sports medicine doctor does not mean you understand movement. You understand the anatomy and you understand how maybe you tear your lateral ankle ligaments and then the surgery that you can correct that, that makes you a sports medicine doctor. But to me, that's not understanding sports and the science and the beauty of human movement. So that's why I started challenging that as well. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so what made you like make the decision to go back to medical school after your master's? Partly because I had a quarter million in debt. <laughs> going to. Nice. I mean, that's the reality of it is yeah. I had so much school debt that a, a huge part of paying off that debt is being able to use that degree and use that education. So I knew I had to get my license. The only way that I could get my license is, of course, finishing residency and going through the motions of learning surgery and doing surgery. And for five years out of residency, I actually did surgery and I made a lot of money doing it. Um, but it really wasn't, it wasn't a passion. And it, it wasn't until I stopped and listened to my gut or my intuition that really told me, listen, if you're not enjoying this, why, why are you doing it? Why are you doing surgery to try to prove to your profession that you are a qualified podiatrist? Because podiatry is kind of weird. You have to be a surgeon or you're not respected. And that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but I, I, I knew that I had to kind of have that, that aspect of that qualification as I use this other side that I was still developing. It took me five years to develop really where I am right now after um, residency. So that evolution takes time. Now I don't do surgery anymore. Now I left conventional medicine. I don't take insurance anymore. I have a very, very specific practice, but it took a while to get to that point that I felt confident and ready and evolved enough to do that. It just seems like the entire time you've been talking, like you've been always so like self-aware and self-confident. Like, where do you think all that comes from? Probably my parents. parents okay. <laughs> That's where we learn it. I mean, if I look at my books that I'm reading on perinatal psychology, I mean, that's the imprint that is set by our parents, right? So yeah. I will definitely say, and my husband can kind of vouch for it as well, that my parents, particularly my mom, is the biggest cheerleader. And when he first met my mom, he was like, oh, my God, I would be a doctor, too, if my mom was, was how your mom is. She just continuously like, you can do whatever you want. You are amazing. So I, I think that gets into your belief system. I, I definitely have doubts, for sure, 100% have doubts. Mm -hmm. But I, I think when you know in your gut what is right and you stand behind it, it took a little bit of time to get to that. But through the studying I've done, through the advanced education that I've done, I'm doing my fellowship in functional medicine. So I try to get the the papers or the letters behind the name, even though that's, that doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. 
but in certain settings, it then is is setting a little bit of a a I've done my my background work, so I am confident in what I'm saying. I think it's from that. Okay, fair enough. So you just said functional medicine. So I've heard that term before on the East Coast. So what what does functional medicine mean where you're from? Why not what I look at it as meaning, but a holistic, integrated, uh, integrative approach that is looking at really mind, body, soul. So instead of looking at the disease and the symptoms of the disease, you are looking at all of the drivers of that disease or those symptoms. So a whole body approach. You cannot just look at, um, let's say you have IBS or irritable bowel syndrome or you have acid reflux. It's looking more at not just your diet, that would be part of it, but also what are some of the drivers that may be upsetting the way that your diaphragm stabilizes to close the the esophageal junction so that the stomach acid doesn't go back up, right? So that's, that's really what acid reflux is. So it would be, okay, what's your diet? What's your stress level? Because the stress level is going to affect the diaphragm function. And then the drivers of the stress really would be kind of a deeper psychology of how you're relating to to the world so whole body holistic integrative not just the symptoms love it um where do you go to get that done where you're at so we have quite a few functional medicine doctors they might not take it as far as the as what i'm saying everyone still has right a a different uh, level of education even with within every specialty so I think that there's very good functional medicine doctors that understand all the complex blood work that could be done and seeing that inflammation which is usually the driver there could be allergies to certain foods that are creating that and then they get you into kind of a, a better diet let's say or different supplements or maybe there's mold or toxic metals that are in your home and then that's that's a driver as well i've seen some functional medicine doctors speak about earthing so that's you know putting your feet on the ground which is a way to address inflammation so it can get really really holistic or even this blend of east meets west in a sense i would say that um but what I've, my experience with functional medicine, most of the functional medicine doctors is they don't have the deep appreciation for movement that let's say you may have, or a lot of your listeners may have, that they wouldn't understand, oh, your diaphragm connects to your pelvic floor and your pelvic floor connects to your feet and your big toe. So when you walk, if you're not breathing the right way, you're not going to get foot core diaphragm stability and now that patient has plantar fasciitis and acid reflux (laughs) that that's what i see in my office is more that type of patient and i address it that way awesome um so the other question i wanted to bring up is now that you've had all this experience with the surgical side and the movement side when you started doing surgery what kind of like opened your eyes where you're like holy crap this is amazing or this is not quite how i imagined it like do you know where I'm kind of going with that? Yes. Yeah, so I okay. liked 
I liked surgery in the sense that it, it's anatomy, right? And I love anatomy. I got to see the fascia and all this cadaver talk that people have with fascia. I mean, I just, I was around that for years because it's, it's part of surgery. I cut through fascia when I'm trying to do a bunion surgery or flat foot surgery. But where, where I started to get some of the conflict was some of the surgical decisions that were made there was no uh, rest of life movement considered in it, right? So if you do, let's just focus on the big toe because it's probably the easiest. Let's say a bunion. And the surgeon looks at it just from a textbook perspective or you as a toe and an x-ray of a toe, not the fact that you have to walk after this, then they may be quicker to fuse the joint and if you fuse the joint of the big toe, there's no way that you can walk the right way. You are going to compensate. I don't care what you do outside of using a rocker shoe, you are going to compensate. So then what does that do to the knee and the hip and the back? So that now they have this increased risk to successive knee surgery or a hip replacement 15 years down the road because they're changing the way that they walk because you, the surgeon, decided to do the fusion and maybe you decided to fuse it earlier than you should have or could have and then now they, they're at this increased risk. So that, that, that stuff is never taught within a Western medicine surgical approach. It's very symptom, symptom, symptom. Okay, you have arthritis, big toe, I look at x-ray, textbook says do this procedure, therefore I do that procedure. It's, it's a very kind of blindered approach. Yeah. And I had a really hard time thinking that because that that patient eventually has to leave the, the office and I will never see them again, but I am forever impacting their life. And I don't know, it just kind of like hits me different. Yeah, definitely. Um, is, is there any time you would like suggest people to go down the surgery route? 100%. So I still do second opinion, third opinions on patients' surgical recommendations. And then in some cases, I will say, you know, really based off of your presentation, the way that your x-rays look, the way that you're moving in my exam, I do think that if you did surgery now, we would be catching the imbalance, the structural imbalance of your foot or your big toe or whatever it is, early enough that I'm going to help you to maintain optimal movement patterns. And I, I will say that in an unbiased way. And that's why I think a lot of people will trust going to me for a second opinion because they know that I appreciate the functional side, the human movement side, that's going to need to happen after the surgery. Okay, fair enough. Um, I kind of wanted to get into kind of like the basics for the general population for like feet health, like where should people start? Mm. What should they know about their feet? What should they not be wearing? Things like that. Yeah, so the most important thing with our foot, let's say if we look at it from a sensory approach and then a biomechanical approach, that's the way that I try to split it so it's both sides are being appreciated. From the biomechanical side, this is the dorsiflexion of the ankle, the absorption of impact through 
pronation and supination. I'm sure people might have heard those words. They might not know what it means, but there's there's movements that are happening in the foot. Now, in order for your foot mechanically to go through these proper movement patterns, you need to have sufficient stability or strength, we'll call it strength, and mobility. The mobility side would be, let's say, myofascial work. You should be releasing your feet every single day. Release the bottom of the feet, all the muscles in the bottom of the foot. Release those on a golf ball, lacrosse ball. You know, put it in your bathroom. Do it when you first wake up, before you go to bed. Get that, you know, two times a day TLC to the foot. And then doing the same thing to the muscles of your lower leg, your calves, the front of the shin, the outside of the leg, just to keep those muscles also hydrated, fascially released, etc. That's the mobility side. From the stability or strength side, that would be making sure that the small muscles in your foot are strong and engaging and engaging quickly. So the thing with the foot is that it has to become very stable, very fast every single time you take a step, if you're running, if you're jumping, the reaction time of the foot is extremely fast. So training the small muscles to engage isometrically, <laughs> if, if listeners are familiar with that. So in a, in a isometric form that creates stability. The easiest way to create the isometric strength of the foot is to push your toes into the ground, just straight down. Don't don't move the body in any way. Just anchor or root the tips of your toes into the ground. When you do that, you may see that the arch of your foot starts to lift. You might actually feel the muscles in the bottom of the foot engage. All of that is equating to stability. That's the foundation of what I teach from the mechanical perspective, and then we can evolve a little bit from there. From the sensory side, this is allowing us to tap into the nerves in the bottom of the feet. So there's thousands of nerves in the bottom of the feet. All of them are sensitive to different information, but the most important thing is that that information is necessary to control your movement. If you don't have information coming in from your feet, because let's say you have shoes on, you're on a squishy mat, you're on carpet, certain surfaces or footwear can block that sensory information from coming in. Now your brain, body, doesn't have the full picture of what's going on. So it becomes a little bit slower. It doesn't stabilize as fast. It's not transferring energy as efficiently. And then we start to see micro accumulation of compensation and trauma and that's where you get almost every injury in the foot that you could think of stress fractures plantar fasciitis post tib tendonitis achilles tendonitis that's my my foundation of what we need to achieve from the foot and then i'll allow you to kind of ask some questions off of off of that yeah definitely like the other thing i was just like thinking about is like you know for all the coaches listening that have clients that wear different types of shoes in the gym. Like, I remember with one of my clients, she had orthotics, but sometimes her like knees would hurt after a while wearing them. So I'm kind of curious like what your opinion is on orthotics. Like, is there a place and time for them? Do you want to like weave people off with them over time? Like, what's your whole opinion? 
Yeah, so orthotics in certain situations are necessary and important to controlling that individual's biomechanics. However, orthotics are very overprescribed, and if you use orthotics, particularly a rigid orthotic that's trying to block almost all of your motion, now you're going to have a hard time dancing back and forth between the loading and unloading phases of the foot. That's why most likely your client was having the transfer stress into the knee because the rigid orthotic was blocking some of that micro movement that should be happening in the foot. That micro movement in the foot is necessary to adapt to the terrain, to load impact forces, and then to transfer that energy through the body and from the ground up. Now, in an instance where it would be a good example, would be like a severely overpronated foot. I'm sure people can almost like picture someone collapsing almost onto their ankle. A foot like that has structural, it has structural changes and a loss in ligament or connective tissue or fascial integrity that they just cannot support the foot and the forces of the foot and the body weight and gravity without an orthotic. I have seen trainers and coaches and professionals just believe that orthotics are, you know, the worst thing ever and will recommend that feet like what I'm just describing should still be in, let's say, Vibram or Vivo Barefoot or something very minimal. And you, you, you really can't. That's causing more damage to that foot type. But that's an extreme case. That's, that's not what a majority of our clients or patients or athletes' feet look like. Let me say real quick that if you have a pancake foot, which just means you have no arch and the entire bottom of the foot is on the ground, but you're not pronating. Pronation is the rotation inward and rotation is the key word, the rotation inward is what's creating the transfer stress, not the fact that they don't have an arch. So if you have an athlete or a client with a pancake foot, not the internal rotation, not the rotational collapse in, then they do not need to be in orthotics. They can do barefoot training, Vibroms, Vivo Barefoot. It's the other one that you would want to watch, the footwear recommendations and the movement patterns. So what would be like the best way to kind of like determine if your client was interested in getting into barefoot training? Like what kind of characteristics should they have before you go, yeah, take off your shoes and socks, just go for it? I think that every trainer, coach, professional should understand how to do a basic foot assessment and that's why we teach it in our in our barefoot training specialist certification is because you can do a very simple three-step foot assessment and get a huge idea of the way that that client or athlete is going to move and a lot of that i'll give you kind of the verbal way of looking at it but if you're looking at the foot from behind you'll be able to see the way that the heel bone or the calcaneus is dropping out dropping in that's really looking at what's called the subtalar joint it's the subtalar joint that's creating or in relationship with that uh rotational collapse that i was speaking about right so that would help you to understand that okay this 
this individual is a little bit unstable because of that. However, if you're looking at someone from behind and their heel looks straight up and down, but then their arch is on the ground and you might be scratching their head and you say, no arch means pronate, right? No, the no arch arch on the ground, but heel straight, that would be more the pancake foot, right? That could still mean that they're a little bit disconnected from the foot. So you need to transfer them into reconnecting through the foot, which we can go into in a, in a moment. Now, the other assessment that you would look at would be going from two feet to one foot. Now, why that's an important assessment is that when you go from a double leg stance, which is technically a relaxed stance, and you go into a single leg stance, that is now active. And what is active in that single leg stance is going to be your lateral line, your spiral line, you have your glutes engaging all the way down through your IT band into your perineals into the bottom of the foot, that you should see that an unstable foot becomes stable. If you don't see any change in an unstable foot when they go active, then you know that that's someone that, okay, either you refer them to a podiatrist, you do a deeper evaluation, you consider orthotics, um, avoid dynamic barefoot movement if you're really concerned. So that, that's where you would start to have a little bit of uh, programming based around it, let's say, or different recommendations. And then the third and final assessment that you would do is you would go from double leg stance to single leg stance, that's two, and then go into a single heel raise. What you're looking for in the single heel raise is that they're able to re-invert or lock, I hope this is making sense, lock the heel, which creates a stable pivot point for stepping, push off, jump, run, forward progression, right? So those are the basic movements that the foot has to be able to get through. If you cannot do those, you look at your programming, you look at footwear, you look at orthotics, et cetera. No, that all makes sense. It almost seems like literally every single coach should take that course. Like, yeah, that's that's going to open up a lot of doors and minds, definitely for programming standpoint. And if a client asks, should I go barefoot? <laughs> I've seen many people that should not be barefoot, be barefoot because unfortunately people know or they hear and they hear me speak about how powerful barefoot training is, barefoot activation is. So then they just make it a blanket statement, which if you're doing something static and you're standing there and you're engaging your toes, which is technically called short foot, and you're engaging your pelvic floor, and maybe you're doing small squats and you're you're controlling your feet while you're doing it, or you're standing barefoot while doing kettlebell swings or something, you're fine. If you start putting a foot that you don't understand under barefoot dynamic movement patterns and they cannot control it, you're you're potentially increasing the risk for for injury. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into, and you probably spoke about this topic a bunch of times, but heels for women. Because I have a lot of female listeners, and they're probably wondering, should they be wearing heels? Is there a certain height they should not be wearing? Just go for it. <laughs> I mean, heels are fashion. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had a program. My first program that I put out was actually called Catwalk Confidence and Stiletto Recovery. So I was an obsessed 
mid-20s New Yorker wearing heels all the time. So I definitely had my had my bout on it. And, and uh, so I understand women who love heels, women who feel a different demeanor or confidence wearing heels. I understand there's a fashion element to it. If you live in a city or you love fashion, I get it. However, they are very damaging <laughs> to your feet, to your body. They're not natural to be walking and transferring energy and impact forces in that position, like locked in that position. So they definitely, you said that I can swear on here, they will definitely oh, fuck yeah. up your body. <laughs> so, so if you do, let's say you have to wear them or you want to wear them when you're going out or to an event, then what you do when you take them off is very important to reset the feet. And that would be my stiletto recovery that I had kind of written about. Um, for that reset, it is going into reversing the damage that the heels do. So release the bottom of the foot that I mentioned already. Roll the calves after you get out to bring some of that ankle flexibility back. Use something that's called correct toes to open up the toes and reverse the tight constricted position that high heels put your feet in. And then don't Try not to wear them two days in a row if possible, just to allow that little bit of a reset. If you're looking for high heels that are going to put the least amount of damage on your feet, the least, is avoiding a heel height that is over three inches. Anything over three inches, it just like massively compounds the stress to the knees and to the lower back. Oh, fair enough. Like, totally random story about... <laughs> One of the ladies in my gym that I was chatting with, she used to be an exotic dancer for like 10 years. And okay. she said that ever since she stopped, like now that she's a little bit older, her back, her, like her lower back is always in pain. She's like, I swear to God, it's just from those damn heels I had to wear every night. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those are like platform, platform five, six inch heels yeah. that are, it's going to put a lot of stress on the back, right? Definitely. Um, so maybe the last thing we can get into, because I know you can talk about it a lot, is your um, company, Naboso. Hopefully I said that correctly. You did. Uh, okay, perfect. Um, so how did you come up with that idea? And like, you like put, put your heart and soul into it, because I see you always posting about it. And I'm super excited for you to chat about it. But uh, can you just give a little intro of what it is, what it does, and how can people benefit from it? Absolutely. So when I had first, so Naboso real quick, is a proprioceptive mat and insole. So we have two products and then we have several partner products where they license our material and they put it onto whatever their products are, which I'll mention in a moment. But when I had started conceptualizing the idea of Naboso, I was trying to create a surface that would enhance barefoot training and the benefits of barefoot training. So of course I had to go sensory and looking at sensory, there are two main ways that you can think about stimulating the foot from a sensory perspective. You can think of either doing it from literally the skin on the bottom of the foot, or you can look at it from stimulating the, the nerves on the outside. So let's say like a, a wobble board or a BOSU. Those are two examples of fitness training, rehab equipment that is 
training the nerves of the feet, but it's actually training what are called the large nerves, where the nerves in the bottom of the feet are considered small nerves, right? So it's a large nerve proprioceptive device, and there really isn't anything until Naboso that is small nerve proprioceptive training device. So that that's why I was looking at it, because looking at the research, it'll actually show that when you train the large nerves, so the nerves that are innervating and stabilizing the ankle, when you're on a wobble board and, and a, a BOSU, are actually not fast enough to protect you from spraining your ankle, which is really interesting. If you look at the research and it shows, oh, you do six weeks of wobble board training or something on a Dyna disc, you're, you train your ankles to be faster, but not fast enough. So then I started looking, I was like, okay, well, how do you get faster? Like, what is faster? And the research would say that stimulating the skin on the bottom of the foot is actually faster and can supersede the timing of the activation of the large nerves. So you need to go bottom of the foot, then lateral ankle, if you want to stabilize the foot. And that powerful concept is really why I am an advocate of barefoot training and minimal shoes for athletes and rehab, et cetera, because you lead to faster stabilization patterns, which leads to reduce injury, higher force production. So I essentially kind of set out to develop this skin bottom of the foot, small nerve proprioceptive surface to create faster patterns in clients and patients. That then led to understanding the nerves in the bottom of the foot that are sensitive to, one is sensitive to texture, and the way that your skin on the bottom of the feet perceives texture is through two-point discrimination. So two little points next to each other, and the distance between those two points is average a millimeter. Wow. Best example of that, I know, right, very specific. The best example of that is Braille. And I think everyone understands Braille. Like, go to the ATM. It's on every ATM, right? So look at Braille next time. Look at the ATM where the Braille is, and you will see that it's two little points, and the distance of those two points is very specific. That is stimulating the same nerve that the Naboso stimulates, which I'll go into more in a second. So that, that's the first one. The second one is skin stretch. Now, when you are on a rough surface, something that can kind of tack to the skin, that then creates a stretching between the skin, the superficial fascia, the nerves, the tissue underneath, and then that stimulates the nervous system that helps to control movement. So that's another one. And then the other two that are big are vibration. So being able to sense vibration is critical to dynamic movement. So now we have texture, skin stretch, vibration. So I started looking at those and saw that there was really powerful research behind textured insoles and what textures were doing to controlling sway and to controlling impact forces when people are running with texture in their shoes and 
controlling the rate that you perceive your ankle when you're dancing or if you're in a cleat playing soccer. Like it was all this really cool stuff. So I started looking at, and there's no commercially available textured insoles that were based off of this research. There was also no textured surface that was based off of this research to apply really good, really good studies into something that was tangible. So that's really how I started developing Naboso. So Naboso, our, our first product was a, is a mat, it was a mat, and it's a two-point discrimination. There's little pyramids that are on it, and the height of that pyramid is very specific. The distance between each pyramid is very specific, and it is a certain durometer, so a certain hardness to stimulate the, the nerves in the feet. And that was where we started. That was in that was a year and a half ago with the mat, the textured mat, proprioceptive mat. And then shortly after that, I started getting requests for, oh my God, this would be amazing in my shoes. And people would read the research that we were actually based off of insoles. So then I was like, well, I sh should probably make some insoles. So then that led to the whole R&D of developing textured insoles. And we launched our first insole six months ago. And since those six months, I mean, the results are amazing. We have now three different levels of stimulus. And what we are seeing and the stuff that we're hearing from our, our mat and our insoles is, I mean, it makes me cry when I see these videos huh. because we'll have people with Parkinson's as an example. So if you have anyone with a deficit and then you give them some sort of noise or stimulus to their nervous system, that's where you're going to see the greatest effect, right? So th those are kind of the videos that are gonna be as, as more captivating. But so we would have these, these individuals with Parkinson's and the before would be like barely able to walk, like tiptoeing, almost falling, you know, just kind of a shuffle. And we put the insoles in. They don't under. They don't know the insoles. They don't understand them. They're not explained anything. We put the insoles in, in their shoes, no socks, for, for now. And I'll go into that in a little bit. But no socks. They get up and they start walking, like no problem, like normal heel toe gait. They start walking faster. They start going to where they were before. And then we have so many videos of people barely able to walk and they're running. It is insane. And the only thing that has changed, the only intervention is insoles, the Naboso insoles, and they're not told something. So they're not like, this insole is going to help you walk. So then you start getting in the mind a little bit, right? They're not told anything. We have people that are now using the insoles for a couple months. These are some of the individuals with Parkinson's, and they're actually getting their sense of smell back. So something with Parkinson's is that you lose your sense of smell. And the fact that using the insoles is stimulating their olfactory system and they're getting re-stimulation and regeneration of the olfactory system in the brain is like crazy. So it's leading to really powerful effects where ultimately I see it as the Naboso is just a a stepping stone into giving the giving these people back movement 
right? Because really what's helping them is that they're moving. So once you move again, your spirit goes up, you start to get better oxygenation to the brain, you start breathing better, you know, all of the effects because of movement. Movement, movement, movement is the goal. But if we can help be the first stepping stone that builds the confidence so that they go back into the patterns that they need to get all of the other benefits, that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, for like, say someone just like an average Joe that decides to buy the insoles and I don't know, say they're like a cashier or someone that stands all day, would they get any kind of benefit? Like, would they notice anything different? 100%. Awesome. So the, the effects of using the insoles for, let's say, just kind of an average individual, if you're on your feet all day, 100% recommend them because they're going to help you stay grounded and connected and into your foundation. A lot of people quote unquote tune out their feet, especially the longer that you're standing, you just like, you know, you're doing other things and it becomes something that gets pushed to the wayside, even though that's still your foundation while you're standing. So it keeps you connected. Another really good one is, um, in a workout, of course, because then you're getting more activation of the feet, which again is your foundation. So if you're doing squats, you're gonna feel your feet more, you're gonna connect with them, you're gonna generate your power through your feet, that's great. If you have foot pain, like plantar fasciitis or foot fatigue, really great results with that as well. Uh, we have people who use them as a form of recovery. So let's say a runner. And after you go for a run, you put them in the shoes that you wear when you're not running. And it's a way to recover the feet post-stress. Um, those are the big ones. We also have children's insoles. And then that stimulates the brain. That helps them with their sensory integration. So that that's powerful as well. Um, I use them. I don't have any foot pain. And I... Just love to feel the reconnection to my feet. I'm a little foot obsessed, so it's a little exception to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, people who use them are just so surprised by how good their feet feel and just the power of reconnecting to your feet, which is your foundation in a hugely evolutionary way that goes beyond just the physical. I think it, it really just does something to people. You know, my girlfriends that have used them are like really surprised on the results and they have this great appreciation for them. And then they say, oh, I want to get this for my family. I want to get this for my sisters because I just, my feet are so happy when they're in them, which is, which is great. You know, it's, it's getting people who have no foot pain or no neurological deficits or are not active to the level of someone who's training for marathons to see the value of using them, right? I mean, that's, that's, you're trying to sell just health to someone who's quote unquote healthy. Um, but yeah, they really can benefit everyone. Amazing. I'm sold. I should get a pair right after this. <laughs> I would send you a pair. How about that? Oh, awesome. Even better. Thank you so much. Uh, um, <laughs> so very last question, cause we're already up to an hour. These things always go so fast, but where can people find you online? Where can they get more information? Uh, any other projects coming out, speaking engagements, whatever you want to plug on my show, you can right now. Yeah, so I can be found on every social platform uh, under Dr. Emily Splickle or my company. My education company is EBFA, EBFA Fitness, EBFA Global, depending on the site that you're on. Naboso is N-A-B-O-S-O. -S -O 
technology that's on all the social platforms the websites are um, ebfaglobal.com nabosotechnology.com I have a lot of education on YouTube which is linked to the EBFA Global site so if you go to that it'll direct you or you could probably just put my name in YouTube and stuff will come up I try to put a lot of free education to stimulate the curiosity in a lot of the stuff that I that I teach so that's why there's a lot of free content out there um, I have a book that's called Barefoot Strong so if any of the listeners want to check that out that's on Amazon and iTunes and all the other platforms and I have a couple books that are coming out uh, those are a huge undertaking so that will not be this year considering there's only a few months left but that is my 2019 uh, agenda is writing these two textbooks on functional medicine and podiatry so that's going to be one of them and then the other one is a feet fascia based one for for human movement so it's just understanding the fascial pathways through the feet into the human into the rest of the body and then at Naboso we have some really exciting partnerships which I had alluded to earlier we have a shoe company that we're working with to actually build our material into a shoe so that you can just have it there with you all the time which is amazing we have a partnership with PowerPlate so if anyone is familiar with PowerPlate and their whole body vibration, we have a license agreement with them and they have our material on their PowerPlate, which is super cool. And then we have a treadmill we're putting it on and a horse plate. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thank you very much. I hope that the listeners enjoyed. All right. So that's going to wrap up episode 176 with Dr. Emily Spickle. Hopefully you enjoyed that one as much as I did. And I'm going to say this at the end of every single episode, share, share this podcast with your friends and family on every single social platform like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Pinterest, or whatever the hell platform you're on. Share this podcast. Let's help some other people out there. And I'm going to continue giving you the best information of fitness, health, and random facts, and me rambling about whatever is on my mind. And make sure you click the show notes and click that link to add me on Facebook because I post a lot of great stuff in video form, not only in audio. So hit me up on Facebook. Say hello. And we'll become friends and you will become smarter when it comes to fitness and health. That's it for me, you guys. Until next week.